0: Hello, hello, and welcome to Built on Hope, a podcast dedicated to competitive imperial assault. I'm host Isaac, and in this episode, we are going to jump right back in to the board game psychology section of this podcast which, to anyone who isn't familiar, is known as the Knowledge and Defense Segments. No one is going to be able to introduce this episode quite as well as David himself is. How are you doing, David?
1: Yeah, pretty good, thanks. I thought it'd be a good idea that we had a Knowledge and Defense episode focused on new players, actually, because I've seen quite a few people pick up Imperial Assault in IACP. And, you know, Knowledge and Defense typically, I I guess, is focused on more veteran players with with meta discussions and things like that but today we will be talking about uh something called first order strategies first order optimal strategies so everybody knows that the first order is uh the worst order but in this case <laughs> it's actually a pretty good mechanic to have in your game and also to be aware of of what it is
0: And I think it's going to be very valuable like David said, for new players, but also for older players, because this is a concept I haven't really looked at much, except for Spectre Cell, (laughs) which we're going to get into, trust me. Uh, But before we dive in all the way, let's first off say a big hello to Jessica and then also see what she has for us today with news.
2: Hi everyone! First up, Season 4 community vote results are in, and the only card that has been removed for approved play is Deploy the Garrison, which is Krennic's Command card. That was the only one that didn't make the cut. The reason why being that a lot of people felt that the downsides to the card, the costs of the card, the strain, just didn't really make sense. So it might be reworked for the next season. So check out the full analysis article from NOAA on the IACP website. I'll put the link in the description. All right, in other news also, IACP-approved Season 4 Vassal Tournament season is commencing. So there are some notable changes compared to season three. First, the ticket prices at these events will now be lowered to $7.50, so $7.50 per person. And also, the Vassal seasonal tournaments will now also be split by time zone. So there will be an event Saturday, November 14th, for the Oceanic time zone, starting at 9 a.m. GMT plus 13. The second event will be Sunday, November 15th, which will be European Time Zone, starting at 9 a.m. GMT, and Saturday, November 21st, the American Time Zone, starting at 10 a.m. CDT. The prizes for these events will be a Loku Alt Art, a Get Behind Me Alt Art, and an IACP Season 4 Champion Medal for the winner. And if you can't seem to make these dates, stay tuned, there will also be another set of VST Season 4 events at a later date. Also in events, IA Command is having a December IACP Vassal Tournament, that is December 19th at 8 a.m., Pacific Standard Time, 10 a.m. CST. And that is going to be $5 entry fee to IA Command. I will put a link to the show notes if you'd like to sign up to that event. So the prizes are going to feature artwork from Charles Tan. The participation prize is a Punishing Strike alt art card. Top 16, the Grand Inquisitor IACP borderless alt art card. Top 4, Heroic Effort and Underdress borderless alt art cards. First place, I Command 2020 Tournament Medal. That's it for news. Back to you, David.
1: Okay, so a first order or first order optimal strategies is what we'll be talking about today and it's actually a concept that I picked up many years ago from really great YouTube video from extra credits over at The Escapist. So the link will be in the description of this episode. And there is a another really good article that I liked called First Order Optimal Strategies and Narrative Inspired Heuristics. So we'll talk about that as well. There are actually quite a few articles and YouTube videos made regarding these strategies. So if you're interested, you know, take another deeper dive as usual. Uh, but we'll, we'll talk about you know, how it relates to Imperial Assault, and more importantly, to IACP list building, and maybe even a little bit of the design side of things. So I think the first question we should answer is, uh, what is a FOO strategy, or a first order optimal strategy? And basically, it is a strategy with the best power to effort ratio. So stuff that requires a really low amount of effort, skill, and experience in the game, but something that provides you a pretty high, high power or you know, likelihood of winning. And the the idea in terms of game design is that they're often strategies that you discover really early on. But hopefully, as you keep playing the game, you, you move on to other things. And what I mean by other things, I, I guess I really mean true optimal strategies. So true, true optimal strategy is a strategy that that gives you the highest power regardless of the effort and the skill required to execute it, you know, so something where if you play perfectly, and you you remember everything about the game, and you know what's coming, you know, it, it is the absolute best. So before we go into the Imperial Assault segment, I guess we should maybe give you all a couple of examples from other types of genres just to connect with your other gaming experience. So I'll start with a couple and then Isaac and, and Jessica can chime in as well. In, say, first-person shooters, you can think of a shotgun, for example, as a first-order optimal strategy or or Call of Duty's infamous uh, noob tube grenade launcher. Basically, you know, something that doesn't require precise controls and you can still take people out if you get a little bit lucky. Uh, Something that's more of a true optimal strategy in shooters would be like a sniper rifle, mainly because you've got to aim. That would be an example for first-person shooters.
2: How I think about this concept is that food strategies are things that are very easy to get into. They're simple to execute, but you don't feel like you're super underpowered, like you can still keep up with everyone else that has more complex abilities. So in RPGs or tabletop RPGs, rather, things like the warriors are going to be much easier to execute. You know, you're tankier. There's less of that problem of you making mistakes and then dying basically. Whereas a wizard or a caster is going to have higher complexity because they have a lot more things that they can do and they're a little bit more fragile. Wizards have a lot more that they can do. So true optimal, they can get to a higher level of effectiveness if you play them very, very well. But if you're a player that is a pretty new player, that might be a little bit too much complexity. So you wouldn't play it optimally, but it's easier to get started at a lower level with something that's more like a fighter class, something more robust.
1: Yeah, and sometimes you need to know a lot about the the game and the spells
0: and what might be coming.
2: Yeah, and the interactions and things like that. Absolutely.
0: I mean, generally when looking at FOO versus TO, we are looking at how much knowledge of the game does a player actually need to operate effectively. And so another great example of this would be in a collectible card games or even living card games. To what extent are you going to run a list which would be FOO? That would, for example, be a beatdown style list. So you just have massive tankiness on your cards, massive damage output, damage generation and stuff like that. Or maybe you'll go for a more TO approach, which would be control. An example of a control style deck there might be if you have a lot of defensive armor, which would freeze your opponent's fighters, essentially rendering them unable to attack, whilst you slowly ping their hero and characters with periodic damage effects. So you're trying to control the tempo of the game onto your own terms, essentially.
1: Yeah and I I guess in the wider board game community you have all these complicated, you know, long games like Dominion, Race for the Galaxy, or maybe even Root. And I, I, a first order optimal strategy there would be something that, that you can kind of describe to a new player in one or two sentences without having to, you know, make sure they remember everything about the game and all the different things you need to do. So maybe, um, I don't know, maybe in Enroll for the Galaxy, if you just tell them, okay, if all you do this game is explore new places, you have a chance of winning. Just something really simple like that. And and it has to be effective, right? So not all, not all games have very transparent things like this that new players can access.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's, I think, very interesting to look at the the health of the meta to compare just how much of each of those two sections there are. So, I mean, for example, there was this great miniatures game called Warhammer Underworlds, and it was a dungeon crawler style of skirmish game and there were some very clear different ways you could play the game you could play it with a orcs where you would just have beef you would be beefy you would have good melee attacks and you're fast so you just run across the board and beat the living heck out of your opponents and then you could play something much more elite uh, which was usually which we're especially going to talk about later would be the ranged archetypes such as the fast riders or the uh, profiteers as uh, because with range you have a lot more control if you're able to do more ping damage and take shots from afar while staying safe, you're able to control the tempo of the game. So comparing denial versus aggro, I think is one of the best ways to look at FO versus TO.
1: Something really interesting to keep in mind is that if you go on forums or on YouTube video comments or whatever, and you, you're you looking at what people complain about as being unfair, a lot of the time, these foo strategies pop up there. Because so, so veteran players, I mean, tend, tend to have put a lot more into the game and if the game is somehow balanced they will have a difficult time really zoning zoning in and focusing on on one simple strategy type of complaint whereas new players that are just trying to pick up the game If your game has a foo strategy that is too strong, it will definitely create a lot of negative play experiences. They'll pick up on that and that will just appear everywhere. So another good example of that was the the Zerg rush from back in Starcraft days where it used to be super effective just to, you know, build a bunch of Zerg and and throw them at your opponent as quickly as you can. But eventually it it did get a bit nerfed, right? Because it was a little too strong. So we're we're not going to dwell too much on other games because this is an Imperial Assault podcast. But there is a really good question here. So why why don't designers just make these types of themes more complex and interesting? You know, so why why doesn't Dungeons and Dragons make a really kind of number crunchy complicated warrior class? And the the reality is that a lot of people do try it, right? A lot of games do try it, but it actually has a really big role in improving the new player experience, even if the veteran players don't use it. Because they they need something that helps them compete. They need something that's really easy to pick up, something they can have fun with.
2: Yeah, so kind of the purpose of a Foo strategy is to get new players in the door, quickly, but in order for it to work really well, there has to be a point fairly early on where the food strategy is not good enough and is pushing new player to want on their own want to learn new strategies and have a one step up from foo strategy that they can then jump into as their progression for the game right like discovering a new tactic to try but it has to be placed in the right area of that player progression.
1: Yeah, ex- exactly. So nearly all games have sort of a direction that they push you in, in terms of, you know, how do we play this game? What kind of game it is? Yeah. So this can be thought of as, you know, sort of a narrative. So this narrative can take many shapes. In Imperial Assault as a Star Wars game, I think the, the easy thing to say is that the narrative of Imperial Assault is driven by the movies and the shows. And when you pick up a Star Wars game, what you want to do is you want to play a thematic list with, with some cool characters to enjoy. But on another level, the narrative of the game is also related to how the game progresses.
2: Basically, different games will have the narrative be driven by the mechanics. So for example, if you have a game that is about building up resources and creating an empire of some kind. The narrative is like, oh, you're building up resources, you're going in the upward direction, and at some point you, you win. Like you reach a, a high level that means that you win. Uh, and other games have things like, oh, you're building up resources, but then you have to spend those resources, and so it goes like an up and down effect. So how I picture Imperial Assault is that it's a downward slope for your resources, and then there's a different trend where it's your victory points are going up. So what's happening is that you have your units on the board, and as time goes on, there's just a decline. You're going to be losing your units, so it's a downward slope. And so the narrative is driven by the fact that you want to slow that downward slope of you losing resources and have a really steep increase of the trade to victory points. And so then that kind of leads us to, okay, so then what does a new player coming to Imperial Assault, what kind of foo strategies are they going to lock onto if we consider the game in this way? So you want to then slow down your loss of units, right? So in the simplest terms, you're going to then place high value on defensive units, right? Things that are not going to die as easily, yeah? And then you're also going to place high value on very offensive units, things that take out your enemy's units more quickly and make them decline faster. And then that's going to lead to you trading up to victory points more easily. That's the general strategy. Now, whether or not those units are going to actually exist in the game is up to what is in the game at the time. So what kind of units are available and for what cost, right? So there is this extra element of all of the units that are possible to use each having individual costs and then tuning it that way as well. So a lot of game designers are going to be considering just pure power level right in terms of this unit is for equal cost just better stat wise than this one so it needs to be balanced but there's also an element of skill involved as well
1: yeah so so this this really gets at the heart of that the title of the second uh, resource that i pointed out for this podcast This whole idea of narrative-inspired heuristics. So really, the question is, if you just take the game at face value and look at what you want to do during a game of Imperial Assault, how does that lead you towards developing your strategy? And how this is really important in the context of foo strategies is that you don't want it to be so obvious. You know what what a really easy to execute winning strategy is because you then run the risk of players never going beyond that strategy. they realize it immediately, you know they they see, okay, this will work i'll I'll start using it, and they just you know go go on and live their imperial assault lives happily, and that's the end so the the thing is that we play a fairly lengthy game campaign or skirmish, especially when you're a new player. One match does take a decent amount of time and the the cost of exploring other strategies on the tabletop is pretty high and they might feel that you spend more time then you receive an equivalent benefit of possibly figuring out a superior strategy. So the the flip side of that coin is that you also don't want a first order optimal strategy to be hidden so much in, in the mechanics that the game looks to be non-user friendly.
2: Yeah, like that it's so difficult to find that the two players won't be able to find those strategies to start themselves off.
1: Yeah. And also, not just in terms of new players finding them, but if a new player you know, meets another player who uses it against them, if they don't immediately understand and kind of figure that strategy out it might be unappealing. You don't want a strategy that's really weird, that ignores half the mechanics of the game, and, you know, someone just beats you immediately with it. That doesn't give a a very good first impression. From what I've heard, this is one of the complaints against a pure victory point rush list in Imperial
0: Assault. Yeah, exactly. And I think you've touched on something very, very important there, especially in regards to teaching someone the game. So myself and other people around the world have been starting to run these learn-to-play events where we brought new players into the game and we built lists for them and then pitted them against each other, seeing what they can do. But what a lot of people who try to run those kinds of things drastically underestimate is that you have to make sure that you don't do exactly what David just described here, that you give some sort of weird combo which doesn't represent the game. If you are teaching someone the game, you are essentially advertising the game to them, which means... You're probably not going to want to give one person a full fledged Spectre Cell with all the best command cards and give the other person regular Rebel Troopers, for example, even though that could be thematic in one way, I guess. <laughs> you have to make sure that the lists, when you do build that kind of thing, are balanced so that you can, you know, welcome new players to the game without giving them a what on earth just happened here.
2: So also for a a new player, you wouldn't want to give them a TO list, right? So just to highlight that, that like a TO list, ideally, okay, this is ideally you want this in your game, uh, is a list that is really, really good, but requires a high level of skill. So you might give a new player, for example, a very, very strong list. But if they don't have the skills to be able to pull that off, they're also going to have a negative play experience, right? Exactly.
1: Yeah, so you, you can't have you know, something like four-act line ambush in Mercenary with weird IG change of plans into a triple alliance rangers round B First order optimal. You you hand that list to someone and they just won't have any clue, you know, what it's supposed to do unless they already know. But the the other thing is that this it doesn't necessarily mean that the lists are are not balanced in terms of power either, because you could hand someone something you know that's that's built around Vader and you could have them play against a. A Jawa Swarm scum VP, and they'll just be totally blindsided because they they have no idea what to do, right? One one of them follows Imperial assaults narrative of you know Darth Vader and some Imperial troopers coming to fight you and and do objectives, and the other somehow is just a bunch of Jawas, you know, some lady spray painting in the corner, and they they win
2: <laughs> all of a sudden,
1: and you you just don't know what's going on, and that that is strange
2: can we pause here and talk about what does it mean to be very skilled in imperial assault because it's different to some other games so when we talk about skill in imperial assault number one for me is knowing all of the rules so there's just kind of a burden of knowledge bit Uh, that comes with kind of any game like this that has a wide variety of options. Um, So there's that. And also there's the tactics like knowing the maps and kind of things like drawing line of sight and knowing how much damage you can successfully pull off in different situations, knowing abilities for your opponents. What kind of things do you think contribute to what you need to learn or how to progress as a player to improve your skill level? What kind of things would you count as Imperial Assault skills?
0: If you know the rules and understand the maps, then you will have a, I would say, moderate level of skill. The best players are those who are able to control the tempo of the game. Essentially, make sure you are able to do exactly what you want to do while stopping your opponent from doing what they want to do. But I think denial, control, that kind of thing, being able to look at, look at a map and not just understand... These are the good spots for objectives, but okay, my opponent is running IG, they are running to this spot. This means their threat range is this, considering these command cards and these command cards and these command cards stacked onto each other. So I have to then try and not only not play into the hand, perhaps even try and put myself in a position where it would be optimal for them, but with a specific plan to deal with them. Having control of the tempo of the game and having a special trick up your sleeve are two very, very important parts. That will take you from a moderate tier level of skill to a high tier.
2: Yeah, I definitely feel like a unique skill to Imperial Assault is knowing how to change your strategy as the game goes on. So like, oh, these are the types of things that I need to do in round one. These are the types of things that I need now to pivot to in round two. If you do take something that is unexpected, that you think is really strong with whatever it is that you have, that counts as TO, that counts as true optimal, because it's true optimal for that strategy that you're playing, and it requires a high level level of skill in order to pull that off. And I think the point here is also that there isn't, we're, we're saying true optimal, that doesn't mean that there is one, one exact, just only one true optimal strategy. Uh, I think it's just a category that we can use as a discussion point, that it is something that does really well, but requires a larger amount of complexity. Versus foo strategies, which still do quite well compared to how much you have to think about it, but it will not make it all the way, hopefully, you never know, with luck games. <laughs> it shouldn't usually make it all the way up to the very top tables but then this is where sometimes things go wrong in game design
1: so I, I think this topic is not something that we should attempt to discuss as a side discussion in in this episode for me i think true true skill you you can simply divide it into four tiers the first is knowing all the rules the second for imperial assault is the speed An accuracy at which you count line of sight and movement spaces and account for tricks. A third is knowledge of all the cards and possible combos that might come up. And the last one is actually playing yourself and your opponent and what what you just said fits pretty well into that in terms of true optimal for you might not be true optimal for the game. You you have to acknowledge what you can pull off. And if something is better but you can't play it that well, it's it's not your true optimal for winning a tournament, right?
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a very good distinction to make.
1: Yeah, so in in terms of getting getting back to the original topic, in terms of, you know, heuristics and and first order optimal strategies. what we want to happen in a game is that most people pick up the game, they play a little bit and they'll they'll find you know lists that match the immediate narrative of the game. They'll play a little bit more, they'll find something that's first order optimal, it'll seem really strong and it'll become the new standard of that play group. And eventually uh, they'll explore more strategies, and hopefully they, they get more depth out of the game, and another strategy appears. And this is how the metagame sort of evolves, right? And you you have strategies that counter each other, they they kind of adapt to each other, and they start bringing a list specifically built to take down another list, perhaps. And eventually, the game becomes more tactical, right? And, and victory is really what we are hinting at is, is skill-based and determined by the details and the, the nitty gritty bits of the mechanisms. And all of this stuff is, is really fulfilling. And it provides a great experience for anyone who is on that journey, you know, from from start to finish. Because they, they first experience the surface level narrative of the game. You know, in, in our game, it connects really well with hopefully an IP that they really love. And eventually they experience something a lot deeper.
2: I want to point something out that foo strategies, although we're saying that they are easier to execute, that doesn't mean that they're cheap or they're cheatery in any way. Like foo strategies themselves are not things that are bad for games. they are things that when executed well in game design is a really critical part of A player's progression in enjoyment at learning the game and developing, right? It's like you want to have them, first off, like you said, discover the game. They're still not so great. And then come to the food strategies. And that boost, when you kind of get that aha moment, you're like, you find something that makes you feel like, oh, this feels awesome. This is so good. Like, I really enjoy winning. And makes people excited about the game. Like, oh, I can, you know, win at this game. That's cool. And then get them into the game and realize that, oh, there's more complexity to this game than I originally thought. Let me try some other strategies. So you want it to be kind of a ramping up so that eventually they give up the food strategies because This is the key part. It has to be that the foo strategies at some point in the competitive journey is not good enough, and it then forces this new player forward into their journey in learning new things and new tactics and new skills.
1: There's a really fine line between a foo-foo strategy and kind of uh, lovable meme lists, you know? If you were to bring something like two Rancors and, and two Banthas to a tournament that that is definitely on the lovable memes side because uh it's it's very cute but probably won't win anything right but all you would have to do is tweak the defense of these units a bit or or their damage and you could easily push that into a foo strategy range and if you did it enough it could be something that is completely broken and overpowered because it relies on one one thing and one
0: aspect, and that's why the balance is so effective. Exactly. So, one thing which I think is important to consider, if we jump back to the very first episode that we made in our knowledge and defense episodes, which was the Timmy versus Johnny versus Spike archetypes and player. Uh, correct me if you guys think I'm wrong, because you 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 know this topic better than I do. But listening to this and listening to you guys talk, I'm kind of getting the sense that the FOO strategy is something which is more geared towards a Definitely geared towards a Timmy player or anyone entering the game, but also if done badly, such as, say, Spectre Cell, to a Spike player. Whereas TO will practically be the only thing that Johnny players would ever be interested in running.
2: No, I disagree. I disagree there because, again, the FFO strategies, it's not there's one thing. And I think it's a step in a progression for any of those three types of players. So a Timmy player could discover a foo strategy if it happened to line up with characters that they love, but they might never find one if those aren't involved in characters that they like in the Star Wars IP. Spike players will be actively looking for these right in the beginning. When you find a Spike player who is somebody that immediately they sit down at the table and they want to try to figure out how to win. They will be looking out to try to figure these out really quickly. Uh, Johnny players will also be looking out for food strategies, but they're not gonna be finding the same ones, I think, as other players. So they might find a first order optimal for them that they find early on in their figuring out how to break this game. Basically that's that, that's what Johnny players do. They wanna break the game. But when they're still when they're still not very familiar with the game, they will stumble upon food strategies while they're in this process of breaking the game. Okay.
0: Yeah, no that's actually really good points.
1: yes I think that is really interesting because you can notice a lot of the time that Johnny type players independently all come up with the same sort of early list designs that they think are really cool some combo that if you've been playing the game for a long time you're like oh yeah yeah that's really obvious but that they manage to put together on their own and they, they really enjoy it I'm trying to think of a good good Imperial Assault analogy
2: I think there's the distinction here between somebody let's say playing the game in a small group that let's say you play you start playing imperial assault skirmish with a group that they're all new players together. They have no concept of what the meta is and them coming up with these strategies from scratch versus kind of us veterans who have gone to loads of competitions. We've seen these permutations of the meta and you kind of learn from seeing what other people bring and beat you with. (laughs) I mean, that's my experience anyways. I don't know about everyone else, Um, but right. And then you're like, You don't come up with a strategy. You see it in action secondhand. So I think that's an interesting distinction, especially with competitive games versus like board games that you would play with your friend group only, if you go out to like events and things, there's that different dynamic of how you come up with strategies and how you see strategies. Absolutely,
0: because you could come up with some awesome list combo which just absolutely annihilates everyone in your local play group. And then you take that list, which happens to be regular Tuscans, to a IACP regional. You just realize, oh my goodness, what have I done? <laughs> and I think that's a very interesting way to look at it.
1: Yeah, so let's let's take a little bit of a trip down memory lane and talk about some some of the you know popular lists in the history of imperial assault and whether or not we think any of them are food strategies. So the the first meta that I was aware of really is the royal guard officer meta, where you just spam a whole bunch of royal guards and a whole bunch of officers, and it, it's really quite good. I think that one is somehow first order optimal because it it only uses two unit types that are just really strong and they stand there and they hit you and then um, when you hit them back Nothing really happens.
0: And so just firstly to clarify for anyone who is new to game and has no idea what we're talking about, the 4x4 was a meta-dominating list back when the game started, which, like David said, just used spam uh, officers and royal guards. But the reason it was so good was because the officers used to give figures a full move and royal guards used to be able to protect each other. And back then, having a black die and an extra block on every single attack was devastating to get through. In addition to their insane speed, by having four officers, you're going to get two of them moving. Ten spaces around. That's why it wasn't good. So I do think that four x four in the tier department at least it requires some element of good positioning. I think if we go back to David's explanation of the four different levels of skill. If you don't have the most basic level of skill, being able to stand them next to each other, knowing that they need to stand next to each other to be able to do it, and they need to be within two of officers to get the extra move. If you don't know that, you're not going to do well with it, no matter how good it is. But if you've got that basic level of skill down, then you're going to dominate with it.
1: I think something that it has going against it is that spamming Royal Guards and officers is not very thematic. I mean, come on. That is not... No. That is not Star Wars.
0: I mean, I guess it depends on what exactly you're looking at. I mean, if you look at the Crimson Empire comics and those kinds of things, there were a lot of Royal Guards who operated together. Sure. Did they operate with officers? No. But the idea of running Royal Guards t- together with just in a big clump of them, like an elite strike force, that is pretty thematic.
2: This is kind of an instance where foo goes too far. Where... You're getting something that is simple to play that ends up being too good, right? It ends up being true optimal.
1: Yeah, it ends up too good and it doesn't follow that narrative so well. So, okay. Second season of Overpowered Metas. We we just spam
0: elite troopers.
2: Troopers swarm! my favorite! Yeah,
0: I think this is the one most of us joined the game. I, I know I did, at least. Yeah, Yeah, me
1: too. You basically put as many elite troopers in a list as you can because they do pretty good damage for the points and they have pretty good health for the points.
0: Especially when we can see how the way points were given for kills were so fundamentally different back then. Because currently, when you kill a elite stormtrooper, you are getting three points. Doesn't matter about the other two. Whereas back then, you didn't get the full nine points until the entire unit had been wiped. Which meant you just keep one guy around the corner, run the other two up, and just ban the reinforcement command cards to keep on bringing them back.
1: Yeah, there was a lot of point denial stuff going on back then. But I I actually think Elite Troopers was a really good... First order strategy because it uses stuff from the core box that everybody has. It uses extremely iconic Star Wars things, you know, stormtroopers, rebel troopers running around shooting each other. And because it's built on survivability and just all of the units being generically good, you know, you didn't have to go crazy on combo play and you could mess up a bit on your positioning, but you just had more troops. So it was, it was a very friendly, you know, easy to pick up, yet quite strong
2: list. Yeah, This is, in my mind, the most iconic foo strategy from Imperial Assault. If you use a lot of the same unit, that makes it a lot more approachable for a new player to be able to play well and not mess up because you don't have all those unique figures that have all those unique abilities that you have to remember the triggers for. Things like, oh, Ezra's is at the start of the round. Uh, Kanan's ability is at the start of his turn or something like that, right? Whereas troopers, it's like, if you play all of the same characters They all roll the same dice. They all do the same things. You have a lot of figures to deal with stuff on the board. And I think this is actually a really nice foo strategy because it's not unbeatable. There can be arguments, but if you play very well, you can take them out. For example, if you have two players that are both playing the same Trooper Swarm list, there is going to be a really big difference in skill level. So the player that has the play at a higher level will definitely win that one. And I think that's why it's a a nice balanced list.
0: Exactly. And what I also think is very important to discuss when talking about this meta in particular is that unlike other matches, there wasn't a particular list which fit into this archetype. There were so many different types which could work. I mean, Alistair Scott, for example, he won the UK National Championships in 2016 with a double Stormtrooper. And then he had wing guards in there as well, just for more Stormtroopers. And then you can look at the World Championships, which was in 2016 won by Daniel Taylor. He was running a similar list. He had Blaze. He had um, two sets of Elite Stormtroopers and he had Heavy Stormtroopers, I believe, with the Targeting Computer. But then let's look at who came second place in the World Championships, Desmond Miller. He ran Elite Rebel troopers. All three of those lists are so different in the way they function, the way they play, and yet they were all viable enough to get to the top tables and win some of the biggest tournaments in the world.
2: And still approachable for new players. Exactly.
1: It was very different from the first wave where where we just had royal guards and officers, where the world championship finals, I believe, was a mirror match.
0: I think the entire top eight was a mirror match.
1: Okay, so worse than I, I remember. But beyond that, you actually had to buy four core boxes, I think, in order think to play two. that list. Two core boxes?
0: Yeah, because you get three officers in the core box and you get four Royal guards. Okay, so for the cards, you would need to buy four of them yes uh, before the actual models you only need to
1: yes yeah, so some, somehow you had to rebuy the core box over and over again just to field that list that that is bad whereas with the trooper meta that wasn't really the case yeah
0: exactly because in the core box, you get nine stormtroopers already or maybe six i can't remember it's a very approachable villain pack where you get three more stormtroopers
1: yeah, and, and you could play it in, in different factions. So that that was quite good. I think what that era was missing, though, was a a radical shift in true optimal lists. Because as, as you said, there was a lot of variety, but a lot of them just spammed elite troopers of different kinds.
0: Yeah, exactly. Although what I will say is that I think it's pretty clear that the trooper spam was the best archetype. But there were others which did really, really great and easily making top four in the hands of the right players. I think a great example of this would be Beast Machine machines, which was two sets of Nexus, and then with HK's as well, because HK's back then were really good because you had, they were the best snipers in the game at that point. They could shoot through people, they could reroll defense dice, which even before the weak waste, that was still a very powerful ability. And I, I saw them do very well at regionals and national championships.
1: Alright, let's move on to the uh, third meta season, whatever we want to call it. Uh, probably the one that we all, you know, really got into the game during. So this this is the one where you, you basically had the rock, paper, scissors of scum hunters, Vader, and Han Rangers, or some, some people like to play Luke.
0: I guess actually there was a period before this, which lasted about a year before Heart of the Empire came out. And that period, I'm not sure if it deserves its own section, but then everyone was trying running weak ways basically you either ran double weak ways with Onar, Greedo, Vinto blah, blah 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 or you ran IG with weak ways and, and those kinds of things so before the hill rock paper scissors thing came out there was a much staler period of hunter play
1: mm-hmm. in scum hunters vader hon hunt rangers i actually think scum hunters was probably the the first order optimal strategy you powered up your hunters and you just shot a bunch of damage into them and it, it matches really well with the narrative of imperial assault you know you shoot, shoot stuff they get defeated you get the points that's great
0: and what i do think about the hunt meta is that in my opinion i know people disagree but i believe that this was the most balanced one because even though there was a radical shift when Hunters were first introduced to the game in Jabba's role, however the skill required to play Hunters well was also significantly higher than the skill required to play Trooper Swarm or 4x4 really, really well. Because as the game went from, okay, I am running stormtroopers, they have minimum range of three, so I'm going to run up and shoot. And I either have royal guards who are melee with reach, or I have saboteurs, who are also very short range. It turned the game on its head by introducing sniping and long range play into the game, which I know some people disagree. But in my opinion, a snipers game is a lot more competitive and skill based than a melee game for the pure fact that positioning matters so much more
1: that era also people all had different true optimal strategies for themselves yeah some people were just really good at playing vader lists some people played a lot of han rangers lists i, I do not i mean i don't think we know any of these people
0: yeah no i mean it's having to about them i've heard they're really cool and good looking but uh
1: i heard they practice 40 hours a day but you know <laughs> it, it had it had a lot of options and it had true optimal options for you to sort of diverge into as you learn the game more. Unfortunately, that meta was overtaken by some stuff that came out in the Tyrants of Lethal wave.
2: Oh, the dark times.
1: The last meta season for Fantasy Flight's Imperial Assault metagame is one that we probably could talk for a long time about, but we'll try to keep it short. (laughs) (laughs) The first order optimal list was Specter Cell. I don't think anyone would like to argue against that. (laughs) Nope. I'm not saying it didn't have nuance. It it didn't have the ability to separate people out by skill because Spectre Cell was actually a really bad first order optimal strategy, um, in my opinion.
2: The reason why it's put into that category, even though it's actually not that easy for a new player, is because one of the definitions of the Foo strategy is the power level to skill level. And because its power level was too high, it still, Goes into the food category because there's that ratio. Of power to skill level. And so there's two different ways that you can get something that ends up having a high power to skill ratio. You can either have it be high power or you can have it be low skill. And so this is the opposite basically of the trooper swarm, where the reason why trooper swarm was a foo strategy was because it was easy to get into. Now, Spectrasol, on the other hand, like I was saying before, has units where you have to be careful about when you do the timing windows of different abilities. They're all you un- Unique characters, so they all have different abilities. There's the Spectre Cell card that has a different ability on its own, but power level was ridiculous.
1: Yeah, the, the problem is that you can just take all of those units and run them in a straight line at your opponent, and if they're playing something else, they probably lose.
0: Yeah, exactly, and that's also the thing, because I just don't think that even if it had been relatively balanced, because it is a close-range, small-figure type of list, I just can't see me ever putting it in to the TO department just because compared to the other high tier competitive lists at the time such as Vader takes a lot of skill to play well most Scum Hunter lists but not all take a lot of skill to play well Horn Rangers takes a very high amount of skill to play well Rebel Hero lists also take a high amount of skill to play well Spectre does not even compare with the amount of skill to play well and sure it, within the Spectre cell players there is some difference between the Brett Kellys and someone who's just picked up the game because it is such the rules are so complicated for the in Individual characters, it makes it difficult to approach. But at the same time, just the basic design of the archetype, it is fundamentally a more low skill archetype, I would say.
2: I don't know if I agree. I think it just had the power level too high, that it still involved a decent amount of skill. But the reason was that you didn't really, like, they didn't have synergy, so the skills that you needed to play the different characters' ability, they didn't really go together as a whole team. And another thing that I wanted to just kind of make a big distinction about is that TO strategies is not something that requires high skill. TO is just regardless of skill. So in the spectra cell era, Specter cell happened to just then be both. It was a foo strategy and it was TO because the players with the highest skill levels could then take Specter cell and beat everyone else because they were now using what was very optimal. Now, there is a little bit more complexity, obviously, because there is this element of you playing lists that counter stuff. So if you know everyone's playing spectra cell, you can try to have a a weird Lothcats list that beats it on purpose. So that there is that kind of element there. But that's, I think, why the Specter Cell meta was so bad is because the highest tier players should be moving on past the food strategies. They should be finding two strategies that you shouldn't be able to have the same as a player that's starting out and doing well. You should want to have moved past that.
1: Yeah, I mean, okay, so Specter Cell did have a lot of good... Foo strategy qualities. Unfortunately, none of them were gameplay related, right? They were narrative driven. You know, you picked up Spectre Soul and that's Star Wars. This is Star Wars Rebels, the TV show on your tabletop. You've got the recognizable characters. They kind of do what you would expect them to do. The list is powerful and pre built, so you don't need extensive knowledge of the game and you don't need to buy weird combinations of expansions to put it together, right? But it was extremely forgiving due to the inbuilt stats. The the problem is as as we already said the overall power level but I think also giving them all such wacky unique skills makes it, you know, not as simple as as some first order strategies. Okay, I think that's that's probably enough about the Specter Cell era. We we can argue about what what was true optimal at the time, right? Some people would would have thought something else could work. I obviously thought Lothcat's in Scum VP was true optimal. So there there was very little wiggle room, though. It, you would be hard pressed to find anyone who didn't think Specter Cell was world championship level competitive.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that was essentially the big distinction at the time, because sure there were a lot of people who ran and on Spectre lists. I refused to play it after I tried it a few times. I played Horn Rangers until the end. Does that mean I honestly thought that I had a good chance of winning? No. I fully recognize the power of Spectre and I stuck with Horn Rangers because I didn't want to play my last tournament with a list I didn't enjoy. And I think that was probably the case for a lot of players who didn't run Spectre Cell. And, you know, you'll have exceptions to that with the insanely high-skilled players such as David or Arvadas who made the top cut with non-Spectre Cell lists.
1: The M- Empire making top cut was quite impressive too. So... Let's go back to the future slash present and talk about IACP now. Uh, In my mind, IACP really has three competitive seasons. The first two waves kind of overlapped the Fantasy Flight competitive seasons a bit. But then the first real IACP popular slash common list, I would say, is Boba
0: and and Jet Troopers. Probably wouldn't. I think that Jedi and Nexus were the thing before Boba. Yeah. Uh-huh.
2: Yeah,
1: Nexu's. Uh, okay, yeah, I, I have stricken that, that Nexu era from my mind already. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I was screaming at people <laughs> the day that came out. If we go with Elite Nexu as the first season of IACP, I think that was not a good foo strategy because it was really strong, but it, it was not that simple. I mean, you you had to kind of use Beast Tamer, and you had to use weird units that aren't so star- now,
0: I'm probably going to disagree there a little bit. Yes, the thematic side of it wasn't very foo, but you had Nexus with mobile, they were moving 12 spaces and pouncing.
1: I'm not saying that it wasn't strong. I'm saying it was It was not a good First Order strategy. It, it was still a First Order strategy, I guess.
0: Yeah, but I also think that it was very, very, very simple to play just because of the insane speed and stats. During the Nexus season, Jedi was, was slowly starting to see a rise as well, partly because people suddenly just wanted to run them because Jedi are fun to play, but also because they got some very powerful cards such as knowledge and defense. But also what came out in... In the next period were more Jedi, making them even better, and also the Bobo.
1: And we've got Yoda that went with Rebel Jedi. So, So Rebel Jedi with Yoda, I think, is still possibly a First Order
0: optimal strategy. I think so too. It is very effective.
2: Yeah, I think the Jedi's are very accessible. For example, melee—you don't have to think about sight lines so much. There's a lot of Jedi figures that have good movement. Like diela has the options for pushing and things like that. Ahsoka's just really fast, so that's really nice for new players getting into it. And they're just really cool. Like they're very thematic. It's fun to put a bunch of Jedi's in a list together. But there are possibilities to beat them. A Rebel Force users list will get you so far. You will will Do fairly well, but if you come up against a player that's very, very skilled, they can beat you with other lists.
1: Yeah, and this the Rebel Jedi list is, of course, still viable in IACP, un- unlike the Elite Nexu list we just talked about. So, for all the new players out there, if you're looking for a kind of you know first list that's pretty strong, Rebel Jedi is a good way to go, right? With knowledge and defense.
0: and get behind me i mean uh, get behind me also help them quite a lot
1: that's a good one and it is quite thematic as well it fits well with imperial assault and boba and jet troopers is also quite thematic having boba fett working with the empire and i think jets are relatively forgiving to play as well you know with mobile good attack good defense
0: without being fundamentally a low skill unit they still require high skill to pilot well but they are easy to use Yeah, exactly. They're easy
2: to get into, easy to start playing with. I like Vader as a foo list as well. Like he will get you so far. There are some ways to play Vader in a very complex way, but you can pick up a Vader list pretty quickly, especially if you use like Vader with riot troopers, things like that, which are pretty sturdy, pretty forgiving. You'll do decently well in early stages, but it won't get you to the top.
0: Especially looking at the realm of ICP, because I do think that Vader is easier to play in ICP than he was in uh, Standard Matter, mainly for the fact that Assassin is naft, which means that you can't have a ranger or a weak way, just basically two-shot Vader from 10 spaces away. Now, the best figures to deal with Vader are other melee figures, which means that Vader is going to be able to get into the action and do its work before actually getting seriously threatened.
1: I think Vader is a really good example because Vader Vader jets or Vader riots is a sort of first-order optimal strategy where you are just points efficient, you know, you're pretty hard to take down, you do really good damage. But the true optimal kind of Vader list might be something like VPT, which is much, much harder and very unforgiving to play. Yeah, And it, it just gives you that opportunity to kind of grow in, in between them and, and try to figure things out. Those are all really good kind of first order optimal strategies or, or lists that people can play right now. We we have another empire one, actually, this Palpatine and Royal Guards list uh, that Isaac won a regional with. So I, I would not call this first order optimal because of the the weird tempting of your own junk droid and, and these this strange combo interaction.
0: Exactly, and it is fundamentally not a low skill list. When I ran this list at a tournament for the first time, I didn't do too well because it's a very weird list. I actually think that this period is better summarized by saying Royal Guards because yes, the Junk Guards list which I ran was very, very good, but the Vader Boba Royal Guards list also dominated the other vst mm-hmm. which it played at so i actually think that it would be more accurate to call this the royal guard section of the matter so they make a return they were here in the, in the in the first imperial assault matter and they were back in the most recent one
1: yeah i mean this is how it works right history repeats itself because the people in charge don't remember the past atrocities
2: oh no <laughs> ouch ouch okay okay
1: uh, yeah, I mean, give it a couple of years, maybe we'll have another Spectre sellers.
2: Over
0: dead body. Good.
2: Let's think now about okay. Why are we having this discussion? Why is it valuable for us as the community? To keep this in mind, the answer in my mind is that we are in control of shaping the meta in a huge way, especially like just recently with this community vote on the newest season, right? We have to really be thinking about all of these concepts, ideally thinking about, oh, what is going to be the skill level to play these lists or what are the possibilities with these new units being put into the official play? We have to think about, is this going to open up options for new players to have food strategies that they can start off with, but are they tuned properly so that they're not too powerful? And are there options for true optimal lists with this stuff that we've introduced? I think that's a valuable discussion.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and also, when you're voting or when, when you're designing cards, we have this sense of trying to make everything actually equal in terms of power, but we shouldn't. You know, there there is a place yeah. for units that are slightly weaker, but much easier to play, for example. Otherwise, you will forever drive your foo strategy to being the TO strategy. Something that we can talk about, actually, since we've got Isaac here, is that notably, there is no... No scum first order optimal strategy in IACP.
0: Oh. Yeah, up until this season, season four, and I don't think it's really getting its own section because approved series hasn't really started yet. However, uh, what we have seen in season four is that Maul Darksaber with Lion Ambush Trandos is a very, very, very strong archetype.
1: I think Maul maul himself is probably first order optimal he's just really strong but you you can deal with him if, if you need to if you know what you're doing absolutely
0: us not having a lot of scum foo it's it's definitely been something we've noticed i mean scum figures are doing well they're just doing well in empire <laughs> i mean boba fett has been very good in a variety of different lists but most of them evolve around being in imperials either with jet troopers or with Vader and royal Guards It's something we are looking at. I mean, we are already designing season five, obviously, because there are only three months left until release. And we're testing stuff. We're looking at alternate ways. It's, It's a weird one. I think the biggest reason is just because a lot of our new content comes from, okay, we have to make sure that when we create a character, it can be bought physically, either through buying Legion expansions or through other 3D printers. And the issue is that Scum really doesn't have that many of those kinds of things you know in legion you've got rebels and you've got imperials which means that from legion we can draw a lot of archetypes from those two factions
2: there's only so many bounty hunters out there <laughs>
0: yeah exactly and there isn't that same kind of you know if legion had a scum faction where they had nikto smugglers and weak way prowlers or you know you, you, you get the idea
1: i think that Bosque and the the Trandos before the Nerf mid season would have maybe made it there as a first order optimal strategy for scum. The problem is when you put them into Empire with Zillow, it's really really optimal.
2: Question, is it possible for then the Bosk and the Trendos to get like an attachment so that it's like IG-88, like you can't have the fixed version in other factions?
0: That's definitely something worth looking at. It's something I, or some of us, mentioned a lot back when I joined the committee, but for some reason or another, it's basically just been more efficient to design figures or scum figures just by changing the actual card itself. However, that is the issue we have run into time and time again that it is borderline impossible to design a foo scum figure because foo balanced in scum means throw temporary lines into an imperialist and you can have an overpowered list
1: so I think this is because we're throwing some of the faction identity of scum under the bus. I mean, it you you can't put them into empire and they'll they'll get too strong with Zillow. Fine. That's a thing. But the real culprit, I think, is because we got so tired of hunters that we wanted to push that aside for a while. The problem is narrative wise, Bounty Hunters is very strong in, in terms of faction identity in scum. So if you want to not look at that, okay, you're not looking at bounty hunters, fine. Okay, you're not going to buff smugglers, okay? <laughs> you you don't want VP manipulation as a central theme because there are problems like we talked before. That really doesn't leave you with a lot and what it does leave you with sort of meshes with
0: Empire so well that you're going to have these these issues. Again, I can't really talk too much about it. What I will say is that I think there are two main points here. Uh, one is that it's been difficult Difficult for us to introduce a new element into Scum to really give them their identity because there is so little to put in. Because we can use barely any Legion elements and we can use barely any other elements because, I mean, if anyone can somewhere find a 3D printer who designs Star Wars miniatures and they just look like regular mercenary foot troops, then definitely let us know because we have not been able to find it. So that's been a big issue. However, I think it's worth saying that we are looking at ways to work around this moving forwards. And I can't say too much about what this is, but there are certain ways to design cards which will directly benefit the Scum faction, which cannot be moved around. I can't really say more than that, but it's something we are definitely looking at and we're hoping in Season 5 we can incorporate some things which will hopefully at least change the math a little bit.
2: I'm looking forward to it. I know that IACP is really a unique challenge and definitely is not easy. Oh, no.
0: <laughs> I mean, just look at uh, junk cards. We, we tested that, but outside. And, you know, that, that is also the thing that we have to consider is that the steering committee is a set of, you know, high-tier tournament competitive players. And if we just run the archetypes against each other all the time, that doesn't necessarily show us what it will do to the overall community yeah you know when a national champion versus national champion runs an archetype against junk guards it doesn't seem that broken because junk guards if you know what you're doing you can deal with it but it's very difficult to know what you're doing against junk guards
2: also i think what's happened as well is that the committee is only so large and you all know each other so well too now yeah
1: before we we end this episode we could just go over you know what we recommend new players to start out playing if they were to pick up IACP now depending on which faction they were they were playing what should they play
2: oh okay mine's easy super easy Vader Jet Troopers Riot Troopers my Jam. I've played that quite a bit in the previous season, and I think with IACP that still works. Like, it still is good, but it's not the best. But if you play it with pretty high skill, like, you'll go pretty far with that.
1: Yeah, there's some really weird stuff you can do with that core of Vader, Vader Jets or Vader Riots. Like, I've been playing it recently, too, with 4-Act Lion Ambush um, E-Webs, and you can also go that route of uh, VPT Vader, Palpatine, Thrawn style of more, you know, less forgiving lists.
2: Yeah. So that's why I really like it as my foo strategy of choice, because you can very easily slowly upgrade it up into something that is more interesting, that you really like to play, that is really good. So start with Vader with troopers. You can also try whatever troopers, but troopers are easy to pick up, especially because you run quite a few copies of the same ones, so it's not so many different units you're worrying about. And you can slowly trade some of those out for things with more complexity.
0: I would also say that jet troopers, while uh, previously they were probably the staple in Empire in regards to, they have a high skill ceiling but also a low entry barrier. I actually think they've been overtaken a little bit by the new short troopers in regards to that same slot because short troopers were designed to be a viable option for jet troopers without being objectively better which I don't think they are I think their design was done pretty well at the end but I do think that for an introductory list if you're just starting out the game I actually think that you would probably find it easier to play short troopers than jet troopers because even though they don't have mobile they have speed 5 and they do have efficient travel so they still get to move over difficult terrain and hostile figures and their range is also better because their minimum range is 3 whereas with the jet troopers you are always going to attack someone who is 2 spaces away or next to you
2: Isaac, what's your pick?
0: I think that if you're just starting out IACP, the thing you would find easiest is some kind of Jedi list. Running Ezra, Ahsoka, Diala especially. Diala is going to be a staple in any Jedi list you run. She is probably the most efficient versus skill level of all the Jedi that exists. Mm -hmm. Um, Then you obviously have as has an insanely high damage and survivability ratio, which, which Dial doesn't even compare to, but he is a little trickier to play because you have to position him in the right way and stuff like that. But some kind of Jedi, Jedi list, I would say, in Rebels, you're going to want to go Jedi, but like we spoke about earlier in this episode, I honestly do not know what you would run as the most uh, FOO list in Scum
2: think it would still be scum hunters like if you ran weak ways because they'll still do the job they'll still play offensively and again you'll still be able to get started playing and against you know it depends who you would play against obviously if you're talking about at a competitive tournament they just don't quite hold up the the mm-hmm. standard easy to play hunter list but you can still get started with that
0: and i did actually just remember something uh, a list which i ran during the live stream a couple of days ago mandala lists are actually a pretty good ffo list so the mandalorian list is very simple you have boba fett you have the mandalorian you have Shyla, and you have sabine and then if you're going for a more basic thematic version you'll go with dark Saber and 3po if you want to go for a more competitive option you'll go gideon
1: i thought you were gonna say you'll kick sabine out and put in maul
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay okay yeah sure if, if you if you want to go for the really competitive option then you would probably get rid of Shyla. i'd say actually looking at it now that does sound really very really strong if you get rid of Shyla you get the points for Maul, you move the Darksaber over to him, and with the one point you gain from that transaction, you then transfer 3PO to Gideon. That could be very strong. So maybe that is the best uh, FFO list in Scum.
2: I think Maul's a little tricky to play. I I
0: think so too. There's been a lot of debate around him. Uh, Some people are saying he's too good, which I get the argument for, because his attack output is above the curve for his points level. But again, 12 health, no defensive buff, he can't recover damage, and 4 speed for a melee figure.
2: That in my mind would be like the upgrade from foo to two, right? That putting in mall is the little bit more complexity, but you get the benefit out of it. Yeah.
1: I think it's a really good point. Yeah, we got one list for each faction, sort of. Mandalorians, rebels, Vader and his buddies. And they they are all actually quite thematic and Star Warsy, and they all win by combat, kind of skirmish combat, which is in line with the narrative of the board game. So thank you thanks for listening. The point that we wanted to get across was that there are some strategies that might be simple that are incredibly powerful that people get annoyed with, but they they're there for a purpose. You know, they're they're there as a kind of stepping stone as you learn the game and they should really help you enjoy the game more. So if there's something that you think is, you know, over- overdone, try to dig a little deeper and see if you can get past it, you know, or complain at Isaac. That works too.
0: <laughs> yep.
1: But IACP actually has, I would say, much better first order optimal lists than Imperial Assault has ever had, right? I mean, look at what we were talking about, Vader and Jet Troopers or or Short Troopers, Jedi or Mandalorians. I mean, surely that is better than spamming Royal Guards or spamming Elite Troopers or a bunch of Weequays running
0: around the desert. Exactly. All righty. Well, Chess, do you have any closing thoughts?
2: That's it for me.
0: Excellent. Well, I do want to remind everyone, as we spoke about in the new segment, there are a bunch of big tournaments coming up, and they are split by time zones. If you are in an oceanic time zone, a European time zone, or an American time zone, definitely be sure to check out the Season 4 IACP Basel Seasonal Tournaments happening in just a couple of weeks. They're going to be a ton of fun. There are a bunch of great prizes to be given out. And with that, we want to thank everyone again for listening, and we will see you in the next one. Thank you, and good night. Bye-bye.
2: Thanks for listening, everyone.